From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., three state lawmakers introduced a bill late last week that would legalize medical marijuana in Wisconsin. The bill would require patients to get a doctor's recommendation. State health officials would create a registry system, and marijuana producers would have to be licensed by the state. What I find interesting is... Two of the authors of the bill are Democrats, but one is a Republican, State Senator Patrick Teston. Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss has said he's open to medical marijuana, but Republican Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald has said no even to medical marijuana for years, yet one member of his caucus has signed on to this bill. Why do you think Senator Teston is breaking with Republican leadership, and does this signal movement, at least on the subject of medical marijuana? Well, Teston is not alone among Republicans who have expressed an openness or support for medical marijuana. He has a very personal story to boot with this. He's written before about his uh, grandfather, who I believe was, was very ill and was using marijuana to help deal with his illness. So there's something that really resonates with Teston on this issue. Um, other Republicans have been working on various forms of legislation, looking at other states as models of what will happen in Wisconsin. But the roadback block has long been Scott Fitzgerald and the Senate Republican Caucus. And, you know, to make clear, Fitzgerald is not alone among Senate Republicans in opposing this bill. Um, he has long had a kind of rule of thumb, uh, what that many leaders do, that bills only go to the floor of the Senate if they have 17 votes needed to pass from his caucus alone. Um, it's just the way things work. It's it's a way that Senate often has operated in the years I've covered it. And he does not have 17 votes for that bill in his caucus. So to him, it's a non-starter. Plus, you know, you have an added layer of interest now with this because Fitzgerald's personally opposed and now he's running for Congress. So I don't know you're going to see many bills move um, or Fitzgerald letting them move if they're ones that he's got a personal problem with or that don't sit well with, with Republican-based voters when he's going to face them next August for the GOP nomination of 5th Congressional District. Yes, as you were mentioning, uh, Scott Fitzgerald has made it official. He's running for Congress in Wisconsin's 5th District to replace retiring Republican Congressman Jim Sensenbrenner. Fitzgerald rolled out an elaborate campaign, making it pretty clear that he would be the one to beat in a Republican primary. So with that in mind, do you think this will be a crowded primary, or does Fitzgerald's candidacy signal a possible clearing of the field? Well, it's been interesting because the field has been contracting more than it's been expanding so far. Um, we've had people such as former state Senator Leah Vukmir, who ran for Senate, U.S. Senate in 2018, say no. Waukesha County Executive Paul Farrell say no. State Senator Dale Kayanga of Brookfield say no. So, so more people passing and getting in. With Fitzgerald officially in, which we kind of anticipated for a while, he's made no bones about uh, to people he knows that he's interested in this seat. Um, we're watching now are people like Matt Newman, Matt Walker, um, Chris Kappinga, uh, Kevin Nicholson, Ben Vocal, Adam Nalen. I mean, there are a number of people who are still looking at this. But in my experience covering politics, there's a big difference between looking at a race and actually getting in. If you get in, you have to have like a foundation already built where you've kind of network with people. You've got a, a group of supporters ready to get behind you to donate money, to do work on your behalf. So they're still trying to feel out the other guys if they want to lay that foundation and get in. 
Um, Kapinga, who's from Delafield, all indications are that he is getting in the race. Uh, I've had a source tell me that he's making plans to enter. Um, but who else gets in beyond him? You know, like uh, Matt Newman, for example. Um, his father is Mark Newman, ran for Congress and won a seat in the House back in the 90s, uh, ran successfully for U.S. Senate, uh, ran for governor. Um, Newman has, you know, kind of a little bit of a political connection from his family, but he's also spent time in the private sector with the family house building business. He's built a reputation on his own uh, for that work. Uh, also working with uh, solar projects, for example. He also, we think, has some personal money to bring. So that could make him an interesting candidate. But again, it's that step from thinking about it to getting in. You know, who's going to pull the trigger? And then how does that math impact the race in general? You know, if it's Gerald, for example, he's from um, kind of the northwest part of the district. It's not as populated as the southeastern part, which is where Waukesha County is, the kind of the, the voter-rich heart of that district. So Fitzgerald needs to kind of get better known down there, whereas a Kappinga, um, he is from that part of the district. And it's kind of important because voters are more familiar with Kappinga than they might be with Fitzgerald, even though Fitzgerald, you know, has got a good case to make about his leadership of the caucus, Republican caucus, about his pushes for things like right to work, how he led the Republicans through the Act 10 debate. So he's got a case to make, but it's kind of a question of how will people know him down there and what's he going to do between now and next August to get known? Don't forget, too, with a primary like this, it's in the Milwaukee media market. Talk radio will play a huge role in uh, how these candidates are viewed by some primary voters. So it's going to be important to watch how that plays out, uh, if any of them catch fire with talk show, conservative talk show hosts. And then, two outside groups, what do they do? I mean, like a Chris Capping is a successful business person. So is a Matt Newman. They have personal money, we think, they could possibly put in the campaign, where Scott Fitzgerald spent the last two decades in the state capitol. So you don't expect him to be as uh, able, if you will, to personally finance. But outside groups can have a huge role in a race like this when it's small turnout, um, uh, labor-intensive, puts money in, it could be interesting. So it's it's not clear yet how big this field is going to be. But at this point, the people I talk to on Madison think Fitzgerald is the leader, but they also acknowledge he's get better known in like the most important, most populated parts of that district. In another development, the conservative group Americans for Prosperity Wisconsin indicated it's targeting three Democratic state lawmakers in their impending re-election bids next year. The group is reportedly going after Senate Minority Leader Jennifer Schilling of La Crosse, State Representative Robin Vining of Wauwatosa, and State Senator Patty Schachner of Somerset. All three won their last elections by narrow margins. How might voters see this targeting play out? And as a result, might we see some of these seats flip back to Republican? Uh, well, Patty Schotner won a special election for her Northwestern Wisconsin seat in 2018. That was a real shock. That was a seat that President Trump won by like 17 percentage points back in 2016. It was the first sign of a blue wave coming across Wisconsin, got national attention. Uh, Robin Vining won a seat in Wauwatosa, the Wauwatosa area last fall, the normal fall election, it was seen as a uh, kind of example of the Republican struggles with swing voters in suburban areas. Um, Schilling is kind of different in that she had a surprisingly close race in 2016, which is part of the Trump phenomenon. Uh, Donald Trump did very well in Western Wisconsin three years ago. Her seat, though, in last fall, Tony Evers really, you know, kind of snapped it back in its normal performance. So she 
is a target in part because it happened in 16, but it's not quite clear yet. The same uh, factors are there for 18, or sorry, for 20. But for Shotner and Vining, they're the top two targets for Republicans in both in each, each of those houses. You know, Shotner has a stronger Republican seat. It'll be very difficult to hold on to it unless you can carve out a unique brand as a Democrat um, to fight against the tide of what will likely be a strong Republican turnout for President Trump. For Vining, um, Republicans feel like they had not the best candidate in 2018 that helped her. It's a very narrow race. Um, they're feeling like they can get her, get that seat back. It's one of their top targets. But again, for Vining, you know, what's that suburban Milwaukee vibe like in 2020? Because President Trump has struggled with those voters. Um, if those struggles continue, it's going to help her cause. If those traditionally Republican-leaning voters who are not that happy with President Trump, if they come back to Republicans, that's going to cause her some issues. So these are kind of obvious targets for AFP and, and what they're looking at uh, for next fall. And finally, Governor Evers and Democratic lawmakers introduced much-anticipated red flag legislation last week. The bill would allow judges to seize guns from somebody who is determined to be a threat. Evers also said he would be open to a mandatory gun buyback program. The proposals come in the wake of several mass shootings across the country and after Democrats introduced a bill in August calling for universal background checks. Republican leaders say none of these ideas will see the light of day in Wisconsin. So these bills apparently are going nowhere. But does this at least get Democrats and Republicans on the record on this issue as we head into the 2020 elections? Well, there's not going to be a vote on the floor of either house on any of these bills. So I don't know they're going to go on record. They can be asked about it and folks may get an answer that way. But you have to kind of divide the bills we're talking about the two categories. One, Democrats are fully putting their weight, what weight they have, behind the background check bill and the red flag law bill. Um, Governor Evers several weeks ago said, hey, if Republicans don't take action, he'll call a special session legislature and try and force them to take action. He repeated that that threat last week, said he's going to give him a couple more weeks before he makes, it a, makes the call. Now, with special sessions in Wisconsin, a governor can call one at any time. However, the governor can't force lawmakers to act. It's just not the way it works. So you can call them in a special session. They can say, hey, thanks, but we're not going to take up any bills, and that's just the way it goes. Um, Republicans generally don't support those bills, um, even though they're you know, like 80% approval ratings in the Mark Hagen Original Law School poll. And that's what frustrates Democrats. I feel like that's really an issue that voters have gotten behind, that this is common sense stuff to them that people generally support. For Republicans, they keep pointing out to me that, look, yeah, it may be popular, but when you go and look at what Republicans represent these days, are largely rural areas, um, a lot of gun owners, gun owners, those parts of the state. Yeah, they may support those bills, but they're not driven to vote because of a lack of universal background check in Wisconsin or because of the lack of red flag law. So for Republicans, they haven't seen a real political penalty yet for not supporting these bills. Now, the second category is the kind of buyback bill, that really isn't on anybody's agenda on the Democratic side. Um, that issue came up in the news conference that Evers had last week because a reporter asked, would he support Beto O'Rourke's proposal, which conservatives have equated to a confiscation plan? Evers said, my focus is on these two bills, the red flag law bill and the background check bill, and that's it, because we can get them done. The question was, is that, follow-up question was, well, does that mean you know you don't support them? He said, I'll consider it, but again, my focus is the two bills. Well, Republicans seized on that, I'll consider it, to make the 
story for them about that program because they don't really want, you know, they know that the buyback or sorry, the um, red flag law and the background check, those are pretty popular. They understand that. But they also know that that buyback provision, which conservatives see, again, as a confiscation plan, is highly unpopular, not just with their base voters, but with swing voters. So they're seizing on that comment to turn this issue to be about that because that's ground they want to fight on. They'd rather have that be the focus of the conversation than on those the background checks and the red flag laws, which are not as good, not really winners for them when it comes to the polls. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.